Welcome to the Iron Self Podcast, where we jump into health, fitness, mindset, and becoming the best version of yourself. Today with your hosts, Mike and Kayla Minion. Today's guest on the show is Jade Eisen from Root and Reboot in Edmonton, Alberta. She's a registered health practitioner, an empowerment coach, a certified hypnotherapist, a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, meditation teacher, reflexologist, chakra therapist, and overall amazing human being. She specializes in personal development programs, energy work, and trauma-informed approaches to empowerment. Please welcome Jade Eisen. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on today's show, Jade. Let's get started. <laughs> so, so we're going to be talking about shadow work and you're really the expert on this. And so maybe you can define for the listeners, what is shadow work? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me, by the way. Uh, it's really lovely to be here. Uh, yeah, so shadow work originally was coined by Carl Jung. And in order to really understand the fundamental aspects of shadow work, it really comes down to understanding um, how he and many other of our founding fathers of psychology splits up the mind. We know that the mind is meant to keep us safe, right? The mind is something that comes up and always wants to protect itself from getting hurt. And then we have the unconscious part of our mind and we have the things that we are conscious of. So the way that Carl Jung defined shadow work was that the shadow was all the unconscious parts of ourselves that we had yet to be made aware of. The pieces that our ego does not want to identify with or does not identify with in order to protect itself in many cases. These are the mechanisms that are made up in our subconscious mind, the mechanisms that come up and show up due to our programming from how we were raised in our environmental circumstances and our society and culture. So these programs that run us on a subconscious level, we are oftentimes unconscious of. It's just things that we do because that's the program that we're running. And shadow work is being able to start honing in on those things coming into that space of awareness and saying, what is it that's running me? What are these programs? What are these things that maybe I'm not consciously aware of? And the quickest gateway to figuring those things out are through our triggers, projections, and the mirrors around us, right? These are mirrors for us. So what is it that makes me reactive? What makes me really uncomfortable? What pisses me off, right? What makes me feel like I am going into that fight, flight, freeze response. Why? And honing in on those spaces that make us really uncomfortable. I think that's that so important. Really it really it's so is. important to ask those questions, the why behind things, because we just, a lot of the time, unconsciously go through our lives and just unconsciously we repeat behaviors over and over again. And without really stopping to question you know, the motive or the why behind that. Well, that, yeah, that pulls beautifully in with that whole, the, the way that your mind works just to protect itself. It knows it, that you didn't die when you did this last time, so it's just going to keep repeating it, whether it's a positive or a negative behavior pattern. It doesn't matter to your brain, it's just survival. Absolutely. And the funny thing about that is, is because the mind only cares about what it knows it can survive, it will keep you in wildly uncomfortable programs that are actually not benefiting you based off of what it knows it can survive. So for example, if you grew up with trauma, 
right? Say you grew up and you are facing abandonment, rejection, abuse, all of those different things that kind of show up. And of course, these are all on a spectrum. So this is applicable to all of it. The way that it shows up is that our mind says, I know how to survive this after time, right? Because even though I don't like this, I know how to survive it. So when someone comes along or relationships that come along that are healthy, other situations in our environment that change that might be more positive and more nurturing and actually in better service to us, it'll show up and it'll make us anxious. It'll make us uncomfortable. It'll make us go, ooh, where's, when's the shoe gonna drop, right? Yeah. And then our mind says, that's not safe, so I'm gonna run away. So for it's example, too, if you have these crappy relationships, right? Oh, I'm going to just stick with this, you know, this person treats me like so-and-so did while I was growing up. They yell at me, they scream at me. I know I can survive this. Prince Charming comes along and is actually nice and kind and all those things. And you're going to go, oh, that's not for me. No, I'm going to, I'm going to go back over here because this doesn't feel safe and this feels safe. And then you're going to re-perpetuate those cycles, right? So when our mind is in that space, it becomes really, really tough to make it, to make a difference out of that until you can start creating a familiarity outside of those old programs. And in order to do that, you have to become consciously aware of what's running you and why those spaces occur in the first place. There was a study that they actually had done on rats, I believe, and I'm trying to recall this study as you're talking because it made it made me think of this when they were talking. You're talking about like those behavior pattern loops where we go back to those places that we know we can survive, and so they had like I, I think the the basis of the study essentially was that there was two different rats. One lived in a loving, caring home that was super supportive, played soft, calm music, and the other one the the home was messy and chaotic, and they played like loud, like abrasive sounds and tones all the time and then what they did was they put these rats through the maze and at the end of the maze the rats got electrocuted <laughs> just like shocked right not like killing them um, but shocked and then what happened was that the rat that was from the chaos went running back home because he felt safe there and the other rat didn't know what to do with itself and it just ended up pacing because it didn't know like oh my gosh this is weird and what this is uncomfortable and the other rat was like oh no I'll just go home like the, that's where I know is safe so it's just an interesting take because you can see that both in the, the animal studies and then you see it in human, like you said. It's like, you know, we, we perpetuate these cycles where maybe these uncomfortable feelings or uncomfortable places, we'll call them uncomfortable, but we, we keep going back to them because that's familiar and we know we can survive it. Whereas when we are in those safer, what I'm going to say is safer, but may not actually be, but another situation where maybe, like you said, Prince Charming comes along we don't really feel like, the, oh, this is too good to be true. Like, when's the ball going to drop? Absolutely. And until we can learn through, um, learn to kind of shift through what our ego is telling us and what our ego identifies with, what's consciously or unconsciously kind of running our, our programs, we can't really be free from those things, right? And that's where real, true free will actually comes from, I believe, is to be able to acknowledge and be aware of the parts of ourselves that we reject and disown and to be aware of those things that make us uncomfortable. So not only we can bring them more love, but we can actually start to manage them and learn how to manage our lives in a different way, in a way that feels healthier for us. 
Why do you think that this is such a critical thing for people to do, to really dive into the shadows? Because I know that a lot of people, they don't want to deal with that uncomfortable and they don't want to be in those like uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, I mean, who wants to be uncomfortable? The mind is built to survive, right? It's built to do the opposite of that. It wants to be cushy. It wants to be cozy. <laughs> we want to be happy. Who wants to run towards the things that make us uncomfortable or may cause us pain? That's not how our minds are built, right? But it is imperative if you actually want to feel like a whole being because the reality is, is that when we're running around unaware of these things, we are unconsciously bleeding all over other people as well, these wounds and these programs. And we're actually allowing that to consume and control our lives and create limitations in our environments that we feel like we can't get out of. These things, not acknowledging the shadow and not being able to do that splits basically your reality, right? It splits into this other thing, the pieces that you want to acknowledge the pieces that you don't want to acknowledge, the pieces that you're aware of, the pieces that you're unaware of. And it's so important to be able to bring love to all of that and to know that you are a whole and perfect human being just exactly as you are, flaws and all the things included. I believe that shadow work is completely necessary and important no matter how uncomfortable it is because in my opinion, people are running around uncomfortable all the time. They're just not willing to do anything about it. And we've seen depression and other mental health issues quadruple in the last 10 years. It is now something that corporations are using, like literally losing billions of dollars annually to people who are on stress leave. And these are contributing factors is not being able to look at these things that are impacting you, whether that be societally, environmentally from where you come from, it doesn't matter. You need to look inside, bring love to those places. It is a way and a gateway to deeper self-love. And I believe that the shadow work is incredibly important because when we can heal ourselves, we inherently will start to heal the world. That's just what it is. We are not a bunch of people who are hurt and triggered running around talking to other people who are hurt and triggered and having triggers bump against triggers because this trigger looks different than this trigger and this projection looks different than this projection and it gets really messy out there, right? When you have two people who don't or multiple people who don't know how to communicate what's actually happening inside of them and you have a lot of reactivity happening due to lack of safety in the world. So I think that pulling back those layers and being able to do that gives ourselves permission to be loved in a whole new way from ourselves. And it also gives us permission to know that it's safe to be loved by others when we can actually show up fully in who we are, all of the things, not these pieces that we project. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of energy to project and protect those places. So they're not seen for however it is that we want to show up and be seen. And you can just let that shit go. Let it go. <laughs> you can acknowledge it and see it for what it is. We're all human here. Everybody's going through a human experience. And let's, let's be real, as much as it is beautiful, it can really be messy and suck sometimes. And the more we get ourselves out of that state of mind that we have to show up in a mask, in a certain way, in a certain face, 
and we can just actually show up vulnerably in all the places that we're working on, the more that's going to give other people permission to do the same thing. And we're all going to be able to actually support each other in the tribe mentality that I believe is so lost to Western culture these days. I completely agree. Do you have something to say? No, for sure. I, well, uh, yeah, I, I got so much going on in my head right now, but like the the base of everything that you're talking about is something that we talk about all the time, and it's that like the unconditional self love, right? You can't put conditions on the emotions that you should be able to feel for yourself, and that sounds like it, if everything is stripped away, that's kind of the base of what we're talking about today. So, I mean, for for anybody that's starting a journey on something like this. Where do you start? How do you begin to engage with the person, with, with the people that you work with? Yeah, well, I mean, really, actually, it comes down to getting really honest with yourself first. You got to get really honest with yourself. And that can be really tough to do, right? That can be really tough to do. But I would recommend by starting to ask yourself things like, what triggers me? Where are the places in my body, in my life, in my heart that I feel really uncomfortable? What don't I like? And why don't I like it? For nobody that's done no shadow work before in their lives, it's really important to start there. Because most people are running around feeling wildly unsafe in their bodies and really just scared to show who they are. They've been built into protecting these spaces for a long time. So writing down what triggers me. Am I judgmental of others? How do I judge myself? What am I judging? You know, because the thing is, is that for, I find too, with my clients, the people who are most judgmental of others are often so much worse to themselves. <laughs> So well, much worse themselves. And we find that all the time too. It's like if you if you are not nice in your head even to other people, that that's going tenfold on back on yourself. Like if a thousand percent, right? So giving people if there's any any way to start that shadow work, I would say look at your environmental factors first and foremost. How did you grow up? Can you get honest with yourself about how your role models were and what it was like growing up in your situation? Okay. What affected you? What things occurred in that first 25 years of life? Because that is when your brain is still developing and when it's more susceptible to those subconscious imprinting. What happened during that time? What impacted you? And did you really get an opportunity to acknowledge it and manage? Or are you just still managing the way that that felt? Well, there's, there's so many people that are like the classic latchkey kids, right? Where you know, both parents started working and so they were left to their own devices with older siblings or just by themselves from a young age and that that in itself plays a, a pretty significant role there just with the, that level of stability, that level of trust for family, right? Well, and do you think that like, maybe, maybe a portion of this also has to do with maybe changing our perception on maybe what we, the story that we're telling ourselves in regards to this? So we all have like, that narrative that we give ourselves about our past or about certain situations. And if you were to go look at it through maybe a different lens and no longer be looking at it from just that child's lens or whoever that, whatever version of you was in that memory, and you start looking at it from a different perspective, maybe even being able to shift that perspective a little bit, do you feel that that plays a large role in this? Yeah, to a degree. So, um, 
yes, shifting your perspective is imperative. Okay. But the thing is, is that going back and telling yourself that the way you experience something isn't the way that it really happened or the way you experienced something is really hard to do, especially if those things were really based in survival and reactive mechanisms, right? We have these things that are like memory capsules, right? So if you go back to that space and that time, looking at those things, your body doesn't understand the difference between time. You can imagine something ahead of you that you're excited about and your body is excited about it. You can look at something back then and go, oh, right, like this causes me anxiety and your mind only thinks this is happening now, right? It shows up in your body that way. So if you're revisiting these old spaces, it can be really hard to shift your perspective if you haven't actually dealt with what has happened, right? And so this is where the inner child work, I would say, is really important. Shifting your perspective comes down to acknowledging what happened with compassion and love scooping that piece of you up that says hey it wasn't your fault you're loved telling yourself all those things that maybe you felt like you needed to hear at that time and then acknowledging that you're no longer in that space it's not about shifting the perspective of the story but understanding that you're in the here and now and you get to shift the narrative in the here and now and to do that it takes time to rewire your brain out of those old mechanisms so um, my partner, for example, he does this exercise with people that's called old me, new me, and you get to write down on one side, all of those things that, you know, you feel uncomfortable about that you don't like about yourself, all of those things. And on the opposite side, you write down all the things that you want to shift into all the things that you want to be you write the opposite of what that is. And you start teaching yourself and rewiring for yourself what you're now actively choosing to be conscious of. You know, you can look back, we're not our stories, we aren't, but they have decided a lot of the wiring and programming. So going back and saying, hey, that wasn't your fault. It is not your fault if you're fucked up, it's your fault if you stay fucked up. So <laughs> and that's just the reality of it is, right? And, and, what, and it's okay to ask for help. It's also okay to ask for help, plain and simple. I I love that, that you're talking about like the somatic experiencing that needs to take place here because I think that that is so imperative. M many people like they get stuck in that story and don't fully understand that our body also holds a lot of that memory and you needing to, like you said, you go back to that memory and your body like you can feel your body tense, you can feel all of the things come through. So being able to work through like the body's, the body's awareness with that as well is so, so imperative and crucial and to changing that narrative and to stepping into that safety place. And I think that that is like the key word there is safety is that you have to understand that right here, right now you're safe. And at that point, maybe you didn't feel safe, but you're okay to now experience this in a safe environment. Exactly. Right. It's viewing that through that different lens, you know, pulling it up. Um, when I'm working with people who are in a trauma informed space and they're revisiting old memories of places. And I know that that's too painful to be inside of, you know, there's examples like, okay, a picture that you're looking at it, like it's a movie on a movie screen or shifting their perspective to make sure that they're on the outside of it as if you are watching it happen, not reliving it in, in its space. Right. Cause it's also really important to acknowledge that some people, you know, like your body is going to react to that when you're pulling people back into those spaces. So finding safe ways for them to re-experience old things is really important. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my recommendation would be just reminding yourself that 
you're not in that space anymore, right? When before you go into this work, knowing that what you're looking at is to remove that guilt and shame complex. It is what it is. And it's been what it's been. And now you are getting this opportunity. You're giving yourself an opportunity to look at these places and bring love to them. Not to beat yourself up for them. Not to tell yourself that you're not worth it or you're enough or use it as a way to perpetuate all those cycles of hurt and shame and pain. When you're looking back at it, the number one rule is compassion. Insurmountable amounts of compassion, which can be surprisingly hard to do in a society that hasn't really taught us how to adequately love these places that are otherwise deemed unacceptable or unlovable. It's really important looking at these things. You are not those things anymore. Here's how those things rippled out and are still affecting you. That's okay. How can we actively choose to regulate our bodies in a way that feels safe, as you mentioned, and will give us an opportunity to start rewiring these spaces in the way that we want to, to match the environment that we're now choosing to build around ourselves. That's great. I, I love that just because it, it sets the whole tone for the fact that, you know, all of the experiences that you've been through in your entire life have kind of built you into the person you are. So it's accepting mm -hmm. all of the all of the shit you've been through to get you to, to be the person you are today. And now, you know, taking that a step further and then showing yourself that, that you are worthy and that you deserve love and that you you are this amazing being. Right. No matter what journey you're on. And that that's that's a beautiful thing. Being able to show people that. You're a warrior. People have no idea. Like, you're a kid going through a lot of stuff, right? And our parents and our parents' parents and those things, like, that generational trauma is super real, right? And that's that's tough. You are actually a warrior. All those mechanisms and those things that you're dealing with that you don't like here and now actually served you a purpose back then. They kept you safe. They kept you alive. So showing that part of you gratitude for doing the best that it could with what it had is imperative because it actually did. It was it did everything that it needed to do to keep you alive. That's why it's still that's here. not always right? graceful. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you get to just go, hey, that's not serving me anymore. Things have changed. Yeah. I get to look around and I get to create something different. So let's get to work, right? How long out. do you think shadow work usually takes people to do? Oh, it's a lifelong journey. That's what, that, was, that was totally my thought. I was like, oh, I'm sure it's like forever. Well, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's very similar to the whole like self-compassion, self-love, right? It's, it's, an, it's an evolving journey because everybody's going to hit hiccups throughout their entire life. And these are things that you're going to work through and it might not be the most ideal situation, but everybody still has like, life's a journey. You got to keep that work going, right? Absolutely. And you know, your mind will always go back to the things that it's used to doing and habit, right? So falling off that horse is like, you know, it's a real thing. We're still human. Reactive stuff happens, you know, and that's okay. It's actually okay. It's about how we choose to continue trying to create new rituals and habits that will honor what it is that we're trying to step into without the shame of everything that we've been. So once again, thank you. You know, you kept me alive. You are badass. Yeah, right? Right? Now we're upgrading the armor here. We're upgrading the tools. We're upgrading the technology. We're upgrading ourselves to a new level of being able to function in a life and in a way that we want to. And that ultimately comes down to relearning how to love ourselves in this new space, right? 
It's so true. I mean, we are in a society that doesn't teach us to love ourselves. And in fact, I feel like our society breeds the idea that you shouldn't love yourself because you're not good enough and you're not this enough. And if you don't have this, you're not cool enough. And it just, you're continuously bombarded with those mental in, innuendos and like just the, the advertisements and everything that's coming at us. And I think that as a society, in order to create a, a larger amount of change, we all need to take a step back and look at ourselves and really find that compassion and find that love. And when we start to love ourselves, like you already said, it creates a bigger change because you're, you loving yourself affects the next person that affects the next person. If you don't love yourself, you're, you're already fighting on a base level. You're, you are in a survival state internally. If you don't have that self-compassion, so how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to get that out if you're not? Yeah, that can show up in a whole mess of different ways, right? A whole mess of different ways that we're really honestly unaware of, and it's it's tough. Like it really can be tough, but the fundamental aspect is acknowledge that you are in a society and grown up in a system that has not taught you how to care for yourself. Okay. And that you've grown up with role models who grew up in that same system. It's nobody's fault. It, the system is set up that way to keep you disempowered from yourself and keep you disconnected from others in true vulnerability. Because what, how can a system thrive if you all of a sudden realize and acknowledge how incredibly magical you actually are and what you have the capacity to do? Why, what, how would a system like this run? And that's a personal opinion, but that's <laughs> <Pretty my good. laughs> and something that I've seen from a bird's eye view. The one consistent thing that I see from my own experience and from the experiences of clients, friends, family, is that there is this innate lack of disbelief that they're capable of all the things they're actually capable of. And it is taught and bred into us right from the get go, from that parent child relationship that gets damaged with this system that keeps telling you this is what you have to fit into, right? So becoming aware of your system, becoming aware of your society and the dysfunctions inside of it becomes a mirror as well to all of the ways that your parents didn't know how to do that either, or your parents' parents. and you get this opportunity now to start breaking cycles, which is hard. It's not an easy job, but it's important. I love that you said that just, just bringing up the parents and your parents, parents and all that too, right? Because there's so many people out there that have this, this blame that they have towards their parents. Um, and, and I've, I've seen it with the clients that we've worked with. I've, you know, had friends over the years growing up and they're like, Oh, I'm this way because of my parents. And it's like, well, that's, that's the same story you keep telling yourself anyways. Like you have the power to change that. <laughs> right. I, and, and, and like, it's acknowledge that, right. Acknowledge that your parents like learn about their stories. How were they treated? Start asking them what was, you know, when you start pulling back and you start taking things a lot less personally and looking at things from more of an analytical point of view and you're like, okay, how were you disciplined? How were your feelings acknowledged? Were they ever acknowledged? Or were you coming from a generation that was told that you were to be seen and not heard? Okay. Where, where are you coming from? And 
What may have impacted you to raise me this way? Is it acceptable? No, absolutely not. Am I undermining or devaluing the really real and hard situations that people go through growing up in that? Absolutely not. It sucks. It is horrible. And there's a lot of really abusive shit out there. But being able to do that, look at that, gives you this new capacity for love and forgiveness and compassion for all the things that you feel are unlovable and unfixable within yourself and also gives you this freedom of forgiveness and compassion for your parents who were treated a certain way and also just doing the best that they can when you can pull out to that bird's eye view and just see that everybody's doing the best that they can with what they were taught that you're living with the tools and functions of what they were able to actually give you in the state of consciousness that they had it kind of frees you in a lot of ways from feeling like that's something that you still have to carry with you you just say to be like wow <laughs> that's where you came from that really sucks that happened now I understand and I'm just gonna do some different things here and I'm gonna heal from that with the acknowledgement that you actually just didn't understand you didn't know you were doing what you could I think as a parent too I mean it's not like we're like you have a baby and they hand you a handbook and they're like this is how you raise this child like they like you have a baby and like your very first time you're like holy fuck like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here like uh how do you change a diaper like they send you home from the hospital and you kind of have like this mini panic attack like what if i teach them the wrong thing and i always like make a joke about like the first child is kind of like the first pancake in the pan it never really oh, turns out quite right <laughs> i was the funny pancake i understand <laughs> i was the funny pancake too i was the perfect pancake <laughs> you had that recipe down no. <laughs> wasn't that complimentary then <laughs> but definitely not perfect pancake <laughs> well it's just it's all trial and error right and then you kind of like figure out what works and then like i think for a lot of parents too especially in society they're coping with their own stuff right and so mm -hmm. now depending on their stress levels what they've been taught what they've been through and the story that they're telling themselves i know like in my situation growing up my mom was coping and i was just along for the ride right yeah. and so i think that i could sit there and be stuck in that and have that as my story but i use that as my empowerment that is my turning point it's like no i know what i do and don't want in my life and i can use that to empower me to move forward and i think that that's where a lot of people get stuck in their stories is that it's a stuck point and not an empowerment turning point of i get to choose to be something different a thousand percent there's a module in um, a program that I'll be launching in the new year that's actually entitled we are not our stories <laughs> um, it's really about a reclamation of that empowerment taking your power back and you asked me why shadow work is so important it is a gateway to self-love it is a gateway to empowerment you really want to feel empowered how do you feel empowered if you cannot acknowledge and heal from the spaces that you are unaware of period those things are always going to run you if you don't become aware of them and heal from them. And which brings me to my next point is you shadow work is trending a lot right now. And people are running around blowing open their traumas wide. And uh, without the one fundamental thing is caring for yourself before you run around and blow open your shadow work, maybe get a good care routine going first. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good tip you will con 
you will blow open those places and your body's going to go into that reactive state. If you do not have good habits in place for yourself that care for it and can bring it back into a space of regulation, you could just open up a hole. You could open up a hole that re-perpetuates you in old cycles of trauma, guilt, and shame, and it can actually do more damage than it can good. So making sure that you have support and safety networks and you have a good care plan ahead of you before you start diving into your your stuff. Diving in at first, well, like you said before, if, you, if it's not treated, you, you're bleeding out all over everybody else, and that, that's the exact same as that. You open up an old trauma, like any of the anything that people have been through and all of a sudden they open it up and they don't know how to put a cap back on that and it just open opens them up to a new cycle right same same habits new cycle and coping mechanisms absolutely absolutely and you know the other thing i would like to tell people too is you want to get into a really good habit of shifting your perspective and you have to shift the way that you talk to yourself shadow work also starts with mindfulness how do you talk to yourself? Are you mean to yourself all the time? What happens when you feel like you are running out of time or time is ruling you or you have a lot of responsibilities and all these things are kind of moving through? How are you talking to yourself? The way that you talk to yourself becomes the beliefs inside of your system. And beliefs are some of the hardest things to change. So if you've been talking to yourself one way your whole life, that's created a belief. And the only way to rewire that belief is to start talking to yourself a hell of a lot differently and to become aware of that. You know, I tell my clients to put sticky notes. I've done it. I come, my background is not an easy digestible one as well. And I've had to do that. And when I am going through chaos, I still have to do those same things. I still put nice things on my phone, background, whatever, when I'm feeling really chaotic and stressed and overwhelmed. And it serves me a good purpose. Yeah. I have a I have a bracelet. It's like just like made out of uh it's just made out of I don't know, thread. <laughs> it's nothing it's nothing special, but it's my reminder for self-love and to come back into a, into a place of love because that I feel like you've said this whole time is like really our greatest strength and our greatest responsibility in this lifetime is to show yourself love because how can you really show other people love? If you're berating this person that you want them to love. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you say that. There's this saying that goes around that says you can't um, love somebody else until you love yourself. And I, I don't fully believe that. I actually think that you can love a lot of other people, but you can only love other people to the extent in which you love yourself. That will always be a mirror because it'll be a mirror of your awareness. So you can love people as much as you want, but if you are not aware of how to love yourself and care for yourself, you're not going to be able to care and meet others in the same capacity in the same way. You're not going to value the boundaries. You're not going to value the experiences that they need. And it's always just going to feed and perpetuate and trigger your traumas, whether that be insecure attachment or avoidant behaviors. It's really important to get a grasp on how it is that you show up in love in all of your situations and your relationship with yourself because it will give you an indication of expansion and how you can show up and support other people, right? 
Totally. I love this. This is such yeah. this is such a great conversation piece. Like I just I could literally sit here and talk about this for a really long time. <laughs> well, I also have a bracelet just so you know. Yeah, I got mine on there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my big thing that I always say to my clients and I say to say to everybody is, you know, the, the most authentic way you can lead is lead, lead through love, right? So if you're if you come from a loving place, it's going to be sincere every time when you open your mouth, right? And that's that's how we try and that's what we preach and that's what we practice, right? So yeah, and and that's a and it's a beautiful practice, but it is a practice. It is a practice. And I think that people really just, they try something for a short period of time and then they get frustrated because it's not working, but you've been doing the same thing for your whole life. How do you think it's going to be to overnight to change these things? You know, that doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. So you've been, those pathways are really deeply ingrained in there. So you got to keep practicing, practice love. Love is a practice. Well, I think that the, that kind of can go for anything though. Like love is a practice. Eating properly is a practice. I mean, like if we, if you go a while, like it's easy to throw pizza in and it's not always the easiest to heat something up or we tell ourselves that story that might be healthier. Right. It's like, again, that narrative that you're giving yourself, it's like, it's not easy to, you know, go and get some physical activity in, but it's that practice, that repetitive behavior where you are doing the things that you say you want to do and act, taking action on those behaviors that you say that you want to have in your life. Because like you said, those those cycles are so deeply ingrained in us, you know, to not take that action or to do those things we want to do. Well, a lot of people perceive self-care as a very selfish act. And a lot of people have been told from a very young age, and again, this comes back to the shadow work, but people get told at a very young age that, you know, you can't be selfish and you have to, you know, other people first, or you have to be more humble. So you can't, you know, you can't brag or you can't be boastful about if you do well, things like that. So then these people get these complexes from a very young age where it's like, okay, well, now I can't be proud when I do well, and I can't do self-care because that's selfish. And they, they have these thought processes going through their mind. It's like, well, no, hold on a second. It's, it is one of the most important things you can do to look after yourself. If you don't look after yourself, how are you supposed to look after anybody else? Absolutely, 100%. It totally is modeled right from a young age. And I mean, like, how many of us had parents that, like, sat down, you know, early, right? Like, how many of our mothers just, like, sat down and or ever took a bath for herself? Do you remember, like, seeing your parents take adequate self-care that wasn't just purely distraction-based, you know? Sleep? Uh, my dad and, worked nights, yeah, so he slept. Right? And, and then this creates an unregulated system right and when you're unregulated it just I, like i always tell people like how does it feel to give when your cup is super full you know people are like oh i love it i love giving when my cup is full like i feel great i want to do it like, yeah you do how do you feel when you haven't taken care of yourself and you're drained and somebody asks you for the exact same thing well it sucks i feel resentful i feel bitter i feel gross well yeah you do because you're not taking care of yourself when we are taking care of ourselves, you can, you know, that giving from a full cup thing is legit. It's not, you know, it, it, it feels better to give when you have the energy to give. Otherwise, it just feels like somebody's taking something from you. And that's not what anybody's trying to do. It's the fact that you're taking from you. You're actually robbing yourself of energy. You're robbing yourself of time. You're robbing yourself of a good mood. <laughs> you're robbing yourself of a lot of things by not taking care of yourself. 
you're robbing yourself of a lot of good things too by continually running these old beliefs that aren't serving you anymore, including I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. Yeah. And it's not that these things don't pop up. You can be doing this for quite some time and have those old mechanisms pop up. Of course, you know, it can feel like a battle, but you're already working so hard and spending so much energy doing what you're doing. Stop fighting for your limitations. Acknowledge them and try to shift them. I love that. So what got you into doing shadow work? Well, what, <laughs> what was Jade's start? I don't think <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, humble beginnings, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so once upon a time, um, I really just grew up in the shadows, you know, to be quite frank. Uh, my parents, like many others, were just coping and doing the best they could. I was born to two teenage parents. Um, one was uh, not overly present, and my mother was only 16, 17. So she was doing the best she could, and she came from also, a, you know, a tough upbringing. Uh, it just was what it is. Uh, when I got to the age of five, I actually started being uh, sexually abused and some trigger warning spaces here for people who are wanting to know what I got into. So um, if you're feeling triggered, I would check out for the next 10 minutes and then you're good to go. <laughs> but yeah, so I grew up um, with a lot of abuse, neglect and those kinds of things and not intentionally, of course, right? It just really came down to that. And then the sexual abuse came out when I was about 10 years old. So it was happening for a really long time. And my family and the mental health system just didn't, like, they weren't really adequate. The mental health care system has come a long way since then. Um, yeah, so for myself, I was just in this very young family that had a lot of their own addictions and traumas and things, and um, it blew my whole family apart with what was right, what was not right, what to do, what not to do, and the mental health care system just really isn't where it is now today, um, and I did not get the adequate support that I needed in order to rehabilitate and recover as just a young child. So. Um, right from the get-go, some of my earliest memories are of suicide and abuse. It was documented that I was suicidal by the time I was eight, and it was a really rough go. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, dysthemia, manic depressive disorder, and a panic disorder. And to elaborate a little bit of the difference between an anxiety disorder and a panic disorder, a panic disorder is like full-blown panic attacks, the type that you think that you're actually going to die and hallucinate. Uh, and uh, you have to be heavily medicated for or hospitalized for and those would happen to me sometimes up to three times a day until my early teens Wow so it took a long time I left home um, shortly before I was 16 and uh, just started going on my own I knew that it was really difficult for me to heal at home even though everybody there was trying their best it just wasn't a supportive situation for me personally and um, it felt safer for me to be on the streets for a little bit and then um, yeah so I shifted all of that and started reading about 
psychology a lot. I was really smart. That was one thing that I always had going for me was being really incredibly smart and an avid book nerd. So, uh, reading was one of my biggest joys, reading and writing. And I really just started diving into, uh, psychology and talking to people, talking to teachers and things like that, uh, that, it, you know, hanging out and just meeting people and trying to learn more about what body and brain reactivity look like and what was actually happening in my body because I refused to believe that my body would always be an unsafe space. I said, no, this is something that happened to me and it's, it's here inside of my body and I don't have to relive this for the rest of my life. And I don't believe that medication has to be something that I stay on for the rest of my life either to manage this. How can I actually heal this? And I was just really motivated, especially because I was in a system and around people who told me it would never happen. So, you know, they tried to tell me I'd be medicated for the rest of my life, that I'd never hold functional relationships, that I'd never this, that I'd never that. And if there's one thing I was born with, it was a lot of fire. And you can't tell me that I can't do something. Oh my gosh, that's just not me. So if I want to do it, I'll go ahead and I'll achieve it. And that's one thing that I can say is just been part of me. It's not part of everybody and that's okay. That's just something that was an advantage point for me. So I started reading a lot, started asking lots of questions, started learning things and slowly over time started rewiring those spaces from the ground up just based off of the knowledge that I had. And I spent a lot of time outside, spent a lot of time breathing. I spent a lot of time crying. I spent a lot of time really just starting to like rehabilitate these things and to do it on my own. Um, yeah, so that was kind of where I came from. I, um, you know, and to save all the other gruesome pieces, there were other abuses that happened up until probably my, I guess, 21, 22. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I got a bit of help. You know, once I finally got into a good space where I felt like I, it was safe enough for me to do that, and I went and got some help and just kept asking questions, kept asking questions. I've always been a digger. So that was what I did. And I just dug and I asked questions and I did everything I could possibly do to treat my body well. And it wasn't graceful. Absolutely not. You know, was it very, you know, it was messy. It was really messy and really ungraceful the whole way through. But finally, um, you know, I was able to make a lot of those changes and, um, I got pregnant with my son. I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. Uh, and I got pregnant with my son. And to be honest with you, that was the next pivot point for me, that transition from maiden to mother and my desire and my motivation to heal escalated more than I've ever felt it in my entire life, which was pretty exponential because I was already pretty motivated. And, uh, yeah, you know, I kept diving in deeper, diving in deeper and, um, eventually went on to get my certifications. Um, throughout that time I'd been in the music industry and in the hip hop industry, and I'd gotten a lot of unique opportunities. Uh, I was a radio co-host on a radio station. Um, I was, uh, starting to give speeches at universities and colleges and panels for resiliency through adversity and starting to already do talks 
around shifting the narrative and getting out of the stories and getting out of trauma just based on purely on experience and the things that I had been doing. Um, and then I quit the music industry actually on a calling to come and dive deeper into the more technical side of the certifications of the things that I already had verified from experience. Uh, so I went and got my neuro-linguistic reprogramming. I became a meditation teacher. I, um, also a reflexology therapist, but, um, that was just because reflexes are fun. <laughs> um, I went and got my mental health first aid and, uh, did some resiliency, um, compassionate discipline courses through the Institute of Child Psychology to find out about attachment theory and, um, child brain development. And I just started executing a bunch of the certifications to get formal education based on the experience of what I had already survived and started beginning to learn how to thrive. And naturally throughout that time, as I was doing that, I had a natural knack for being able to sit with people in the depths of all of the things that they were experiencing without judgment. You know, there really wasn't much that you could say to me that would be surprising by that point. So, um, you know, people felt comfortable talking to me and naturally gravitated towards me because it's felt safe and also hopeful. Um, so when, uh, I shifted into starting to do coaching and build the programs that I have now based on, um, especially when COVID hit, uh, an overwhelming amount of people reaching out for help. And, uh, finally, decided to cultivate a program based on my personal experiences and based off of my certifications and come together to bring that knowledge to give people a space where they could rehabilitate their empowerment and take their power back through understanding. I think that we aren't taught a lot about our brains. I had to go and find that knowledge. If somebody had sat me down and said, Hey, guess what? What happened to you sucked and what's happening inside of your body is a reaction. And we can learn how to feel better. My world would have been wildly different, but instead I was in a system that said, no, let's medicate you. And, uh, that's it. Treat the symptom, not the problem, right? Exactly. It was a symptomatic approach, right? Which, you know, and I'm not harshing on medication at all. I mean, I'm very thankful for Western medicine. And I think that if you need medication, be on medication. I would never tell somebody not to do that. If your brain cannot make that serotonin and your brain can't make these things on its own, it's helpful. It helped me. So I'm not dismissing that at all, but there are other factors like the shadow work, right? And like the self care and like actually just knowing what's happening in your body. What are the main parts of your brain? How do they communicate? What's happening inside of your body? What is a reaction? What is regulation? Where's this, how do we distinguish what's happening from emotional regulation versus reactivity? And how can we start to learn how to cultivate that? Right. And these are things that now they're teaching in schools as young as grade one and grade two. And they're starting to incorporate this because they realize how important it is to mental health and how important it is to stability. But there are plenty of adults running around with absolutely no idea. So. For me, I got into shadow work because I felt like garbage and I had absolutely inadequate support based off of 
a poor system that didn't know how to support mental health. So I wanted to be able to show up so people had an easier pathway than I had to learn this information. To give people a space where they could learn about the body, the mind, the spirit, and come together and understand what was happening inside of their bodies and how to be able to distinguish and take better control of that so that they can feel empowered to start creating these regulations and to get out of guilt and shame and start healing these spaces. So that's, I mean, in a nutshell, that's not going to, you know, be overloading for people, but yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's, well, and it's, it's tied so personally, right? So that's, it's beautiful. It's empowering. <laughs> it really is. And I mean, we all have our stories and I love that you used your story to empower you forward and to become the, the gem that you are today. And just, you know, being that bright light for others. Like, I just think that is just so magnificent. Well, like you said, like you, you have become what you were lacking when you, when you required it most, right? So that you, you get to be that, that light for other people. That's awesome. I'm very thankful to have now built myself into spaces where I have good support too. Like there is just, I have a lot of great support. I have coaches, I hire coaches, <laughs> you know, I have good support because, you know, but I just didn't know where to look before and the old system didn't suit me. It's suitable for some, but it just wasn't suitable for me. And there's a lot of people who feel that way and who also have felt really failed by the medical model and failed by, um, the awareness and the conscious programming that their families are still living in and their own traumas and their own things, right? So it's nobody's fault. It just is what it is. And it's really good to be able to position yourself to have other um, avenues that are accessible, right? And for me, I wanted to be able to become that as well. And I think the experience piece is really important, right? Because you can have a million certifications, but experience makes expertise, period. Especially, if I agree. yeah, so I mean, that's the thing is that you can have all these certifications and look at somebody and say, I know that this is what's happening to you, but do you, if you don't feel it and somebody doesn't feel safe in that, then it all goes down the toilet anyway. So learning how to relate to people is really, really important. People need to feel connected to people need to feel safe and that's one of the things that I pride myself in is being able to show up and help people feel safe to expand, safe to grow and safe to look at the things that might be a little uncomfortable for them to look at too. Awesome. And how, so Jade, how do people get a hold of you if they're interested in your programming, if they're interested in diving more into shadow work, where would they find you? Yeah, so um, I incorporate shadow work into my uh, my programs, but it's not the core part. A big piece of it is building upon those foundations. I want to take the weight off the shoulders, put it underneath your feet, and let's build a life that you can actually feel really good about. So I do a lot of foundational work with people to rehabilitate and to give them good structures uh, for habits that they can take to feel empowered. So it's less about revisiting all of this stuff and more about holding space for what does come up and being able to rewire that as it goes so somebody can feel really good inside of their body and start rewiring those mechanisms. Um, 
and you can reach me on my website at rootandreboot.com or you can, and all my information is there. So you can, you I'll can, have it all in the show I notes. Say we'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, too, so. that feels perfect. I run a six week program and then I also do private, um, trainings as well for shadow work and self-love and do one-off workshops here and there. And I have a 12 week program that will be launching in the fall or in the, Ooh. not the fall. It is the fall in the spring. Thank you. In the new year. In the new year. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to join us here today. We are just so happy to have had you and learn from all of your knowledge and expertise. Thanks so much for having me. And I really appreciate it. If you want more information about Jade Eisen and the programs that she offers, please feel free to reach out to her at rootandreboot.com. That's rootandreboot.com. For more podcasts like this, check us out at www.ironbodycoach.com forward slash podcasts. Have an amazing rest of your day.